Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. When I was playing baseball, there was an expression, right? And I'm sure you've heard this, keep your eye on the ball. Isn't that it? And I'll never forget, uh, (laughs) oh man, it was embarrassing. We were playing the University of Maryland. And so it was a pretty big game for us. I played at Liberty, and and we played all the teams, basically, uh, the top teams in uh, Virginia. And we would go up into uh, Maryland and some of the areas there. And so this was a big big game for us because this was ACC competition and we wanted to see where we were at and everything. And uh, we had several pretty good games against them. This was like my freshman year and I wasn't starting. And so uh, it was still at the time of year uh, where it was cold. And so we went up uh, to play against them and and we had a really good game, but we didn't end up uh, winning the game. But the very last inning, I had decided that, you know, I was freezing. My spikes were cold and I was going to change out my shoes. That was a mistake. Because all of a sudden, my coach, Coach Hutton, yelled my name, you know. Christensen, you're up, you're on deck. And I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, not that I didn't want to go in the game. It's just that it was like 35 degrees. And I don't know if you've ever hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball with a metal bat wrong in that kind of weather. But it hurts, okay. And I thought, no, I, I don't really, I don't know. Man, so, Lord, okay. So I quick grabbed my shoes. I was kind of embarrassed. My friends were laughing at me, you know. I put my spikes back on, get in there. Coach didn't know I didn't have the right shoes on. I mean, and I get in there, and this guy, I hadn't even been watching the game. My mind had been all over the place. And so the first pitch, I didn't even see it. Yeah, I'm trying to pick out where it's coming from his hand, you know. And so that one went past me, and I thought, oh, this is rich. I was stiff, cold, not warmed up, freezing, a little angry that I hadn't been put earlier into the game. And so I ended up striking out. And the reason was is because he had thrown two fastballs to me that I didn't even see. And the third one was a curveball that I was so late on that the entire University of Maryland baseball team laughed at me. I didn't keep my eye on the ball. I didn't keep my attention where it needed to be. I wasn't focused on the main things. And so when my opportunity to go in and at least get in at bat came, I totally blew it. Totally, absolutely blew it. Anybody been there? Anybody been there? You pray and pray and pray. God, give me an opportunity to share you. Lord, I I just want to declare your name. I want to praise you. I want to thank you. And when people come and they begin to ask you, "What, what is it that you've got that I don't? What is this hope that you have? You miss it. Oh, folks, if anybody says they haven't been there, you're lying. <laughs> right? We've all been there. We've all been there. But I would recommend individually, corporately, we got to keep our eye on the ball. We got to make sure we keep the main things the main things. We want to make sure that we keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what, are, what is it that we're here for? Acts, I think, is a wonderful picture 
of exactly that. Exactly that. Today and then next week, I'm going to do two concluding messages. Today, I'm going to do our message. Our message. What is our message? How do we learn from the book of Acts? How do we learn from this whole narrative that has been given to us? Next week, I'm going to talk about our method. Our method. How do we go about doing what it is that God's called us to do? But let's start in Matthew chapter 28. And let's look at this. You know this well, I'm sure. But Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 is the Great Commission. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, and listen to these words very carefully. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, and I, that translation always has driven me crazy because Baptists everywhere think that they're being told to go to Africa. And that's not it. It's as you're going. Because of who the Lord is and because of what he's done for us, because he's been given all authority, as you're going, here's the command. Make disciples. Make disciples. Of who? All the nations. He's not talking about anything other than the people groups. He's not necessarily talking about all the boundaries. He's talking about all the ethnic groups within the world. The command to us is to make disciples. The promise is that he's with us. That he's been given all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore as you're going. Make disciples of all the nations and then do what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So there's an evangelistic effort here. There's a sharing of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's accomplished for us, what he alone is able to do. Salvation in Christ alone. Right? But there's also an equipping aspect to this. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And the promise, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Man, that's something, isn't it? Folks, this is a a super divine moment. It takes God to accomplish this. The question is, are we willing to follow the Lord and what he alone can do? Are we willing to say, yes, Lord? Are we willing to say, Lord, here's our lives? Are we willing to say, Lord, it's all about you? in every area of our lives. That's the issue. I think the early church, obviously the narrative of Acts, gives us a great picture of a group of people that absolutely believed Jesus is Lord, kept their eye on the ball, kept the plain things, the main things. They made sure that they were walking with the Lord, and God used them in profound ways. I put it this way. The church of Acts took seriously the command to make disciples. It was a serious thing to them. They didn't slough it off on other people. They didn't blame others for doing what they were supposed to do. They themselves, individually and corporately, came together in order to follow Christ in what he had commanded them to do, what he commands us to do. The beauty of this, and I think this is so essential to understand every command in the New Testament given to us, every command in the New Testament given to us ultimately rests upon the Holy Spirit within us to accomplish it. You catch that? 
Because it's by grace. It's by grace. God alone is able to do these things. We need to turn ourselves over to the Lord and say, Lord, here we are. Use us in whatever way you choose, knowing that the Lord will equip us. The Lord will strengthen us. The Lord will lead us. The Lord will give us the wisdom necessary. But I think there's a decision to be made. And I think in our day and age, it's right in front of us. Do we take seriously the command to make disciples, both evangelistically as well as equipping believers? So three things this morning as we just kind of do a review of the book of Acts. First of all, changed lives. Changed lives. You know, one of the great uh, stories of the Bible is how God is able to change our lives. Amen? And every one of us has a testimony. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've received him, then you have a testimony. There's something about what God has done for you that is absolutely unique to you. It may have the same basic foundation to it, but the reality of it is the set of circumstances that you've walked through, how God has worked in your life to draw, him, draw you to himself, all of that's unique to you. You have, a, you have an amazing story, a testimony, a witness for the Lord. There's a clear message, a clear message. And lastly, there's a Christ focus, a Christ focus. First of all, changed lives, changed lives. Look over at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, 42 and following. Acts 2, 42 and following. That would be now. (laughs) Turn the pages. How many of you actually use uh, your cell phone? I'm just curious. Oh, man, I feel like I'm, you know, doing the wave thing. It's interesting. One of these days we'll have to do that. By the way, our app is coming out soon. That's going to be fun. We'll see how God uses that. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Changed lives. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed that he was the Savior. They believed that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was the Lamb of God that had come in order to shed his blood so that they may be forgiven of sin. And at this particular point, we recognize Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, had come upon them. When we are saved and we come to Christ, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we receive him for who he truly is, we immediately have the Holy Spirit come upon us. God himself comes to dwell in our lives. So not only did they learn and grow in Christ themselves, but by his grace and his transforming power, the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, they loved one another as a result. And what did they do? They proclaimed Christ. And they didn't just do it with words, they did it by their activity. They were willing to sell their possessions in order to take care of one another. 
We've walked through this, but it's a beautiful picture of a group of people that were willing to literally say, uh, what's mine is really the Lord's, and Lord, use it in whatever way you choose. And they would bring to the apostles, some of them, the sales from property and different things. And then it would be distributed in order to help people. They loved one another. When you think about the breakdown of the book of Acts, it's basically in two parts. It's, it's Peter and the message of the gospel to the Jewish people, and then there's a transition where it begins to be about Paul and the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. We start in Jerusalem and we end where? In Rome. So we see how Acts 1.8 takes place. Jerusalem into Judea into Samaria, even to the uttermost parts, which would at that time have included Rome. We see the beginning of the church at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes upon those who are in the upper room, and and we have the tongues of flaming fire. We have them speaking in known languages. We have the hearing of those known languages, and many come to know Christ that day. We see the different things that God does in order to establish the gospel. We see these people spending time together. They're spending time together in the word. They're spending time together in prayer. They're sharing with one another. They're making sure that the needs are met. Their testimony amongst all the people is one that has favor with it. We see the Holy Spirit come upon the Samaritans. We see how Peter goes to a Gentile's house, Cornelius, the centurion, and the other Gentiles that are there. They receive the Holy Spirit when they believe in the Lord. We see how Paul's missionary journeys and and all the persecutions that he goes through. Through all of this, we see the Lord adding to their numbers. The Lord adding to their numbers. When people come together who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are keeping their eye on the ball, so to speak, we recognize what it is that we've been called into. We recognize that it is for the purpose to be used of the Lord in whatever way he chooses. And the Lord is first. And our lives are totally and utterly yielded over to him. And God in and through us begins to bind us together in a way that his love is revealed through us as the body of Christ, the church, into the community. And the community begins to recognize the testimony, the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the transforming power of God in and through us. They kept their eye on the ball. Their lives were changed, and you could see it in their activities. You could see it in their attitudes. You could see it in the way they used their time the way they spent time with one another, time in the word, time in prayer, in fellowship, in communion, remembering what Christ had done for them. Three things that I think you can see very clearly here. First, they followed the Lord. They were growing in Christ. They were hungry and thirsty for the word of God. They sat at the apostles' feet. Amazing. They wanted to know, what is it that God has said to us? They loved one another. And lastly, they proclaimed the gospel of grace through word and deed. Their lives had been changed. Secondly, they had a clear message. 
clear message. Luke is writing this narrative to Theophilus. He wanted to make sure that Theophilus had a clear record of what God had done in and through the church. Certainly, uh, the Gospel of Luke is the first part of it. Acts is the second part. The Gospel of Luke is dealing with the life of Christ here on this earth. Uh, Acts is dealing with the, the ascension of the Lord and the Spirit of God coming upon believers and the church being established, and then the work of God through the body of Christ, the church, into the world. So Theophilus has a full picture here of this entire narrative. It's kind of interesting if you go back and look at the language that's used throughout the book of Acts. Eight times the word gospel is used in the book of Acts. Eight times. My favorite is probably Acts chapter 20, verses, verse 24. Acts 20, verse 24. Paul is giving an account of his life, giving his testimony. He's under trial. And this is what he says about himself. In Acts 20, 24, he says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. I think his actions showed that. Amen? I mean, what he's saying here is not a puffed up religious type of statement. This is a real, humble reality with regard to who Christ is and and how Paul worshiped the Lord. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry, the service, which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. There it is. You want to know what Paul was all about? That's what he was all about. You want to know what the early church was being encouraged to be all about? That's what the early church was being encouraged to be all about. Testify about the gospel of the grace of God. Testify about the salvation that God has provided for us. And it's not just a stagnant salvation. It doesn't just stop back when you had a prayer sometime and and you received Christ originally. It continues on. It continues on in terms of how God grows you and changes you, transforms you. It's a vibrant, living relationship because God is living within us. So it's not just as you have received him, it's as you have received him, so walk ye in him by faith in Christ. The word proclaim is used 17 times. The word proclaim has the idea of announce. It's actually translated one time as announce. The majority of those usages are about proclaiming Christ, about proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming the word of God or the word of the Lord, proclaiming the way of salvation. It was an announcement. Many times it's used with the Jews. Your Messiah has come. Look at the Old Testament and the prophecies given, and Jesus fits every one of those. He's our Messiah. To the Gentiles, it's an announcement of hope. It's a proclamation of salvation in Christ alone, of the forgiveness of our sin. Well, preaching and teaching, if you take those two words and you track it, they're used over 30 times, 33 times. And the majority of the times that you see the word preaching used or the word teaching used, it's talking about the gospel, preaching the gospel or preaching Jesus, the Lord, or his word. The word testify, to be a witness, to give An accurate account of something is used 15 times with the majority of those uses speaking of one's testimony 
of the Lord. So if you combine that all, approximately 65 times through the book of Acts, the idea of proclaiming or preaching or teaching along with testifying is used and the vast majority of those uses revolve around the declaration of salvation by faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, the gospel. We getting a picture here? Believers clearly took seriously as a lifestyle growing in Christ and sharing the gospel with those who did not know the Lord, with unbelievers. I think it's fascinating when you look at their lives, and we've commented on this, but let me do this clearly. Their lives reflected this as seen in their activities, right? When we we say we believe in something, you just watch somebody long enough and you find out whether they really do believe it. Because what's on the inside is ultimately going to be seen on the outside. They gather together, not only corporately, but also in one another's homes and other areas as well, obviously. They sat at the apostles' feet to learn. They fellowshiped with one another. They spent time in the word. They spent time in prayer, spent time in communion. They took care of one another. They shared with one another. They proclaimed the gospel, whether directly themselves or through the support of those set apart by the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to unevangelized areas of the world. Think about that. What a great picture. What a challenge for us. Do we take seriously the Great Commission? Do we take seriously what it means to make disciples from an evangelistic perspective, bringing somebody to the cross, as well as teaching them, equipping them, so that they in turn might know how to follow the Lord by faith and to walk with him and understand what's of God and what's not and as a result be useful to the Lord in continuing to spread the gospel. We're looking at something. There's an article by a guy named David Pawson. He's a pastor in England. And Europe right now is going through so much when it comes to Islam and Radical Islam and the things that they're facing. The challenge of Islam to Christians. And it's a pretty lengthy discourse. But there were a few things in there that I thought were really interesting. Islam right now is growing four times faster than Christianity. Wow. Four times faster. In approximately 20 years, the current trends continue. It'll bypass Christianity for the largest religion in the world. And this last one got me. (laughs) Those first two haven't. If present trends continue, half of all global births will be in Muslim families by the year 2055. Did you catch that? Half of all global births will be within a Muslim family. Hmm. Folks, our lives have been changed by Christ. I believe that. I, I believe we have an opportunity to follow the Lord and what he wants us to do. We have a tremendous message, the gospel of God's grace. 
And by God's grace, we have the opportunity to experience him. It's not by our strength. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. It's not by our wisdom. It's not how we figure it out. It's not what kind of plans or protocols we put together in order to make sure everything's exactly correct so that we can come up with a plan in order to get the fruit that we know that we ought to be producing. No, it's by God's grace. Apart from me, you can do not one thing. But in Christ, we can do all things. Think about that. It's because Christ lives in us. The question is, are we keeping our focus? Are we staying right on track with what the Lord wants? Are we saying, Lord, here we are. And choosing to trust him with not only what we do, but how we do it and when we do it. And in the meantime, we're growing in Christ and and we're learning to grow in the Lord and love one another so that through us, God's love begins to be revealed into the community. That's such a beautiful picture. When we walk through the, the book of Ephesians, that was so starkly brought out that the unity of the body of Christ is the picture of Christ to the world. What a beautiful thing. They clearly took this seriously. Lastly, there's a Christ focus. It was always about the Lord. And you can see this in all kinds of different ways. There's all kinds of different passages that we could go to in the book of Acts. What I have found instructive is to go and look at the epistles that Paul wrote during the time frame of the book of Acts. And one of those is Colossians. He wrote it when he was in uh, the Roman prison under house arrest. It's one of the prison letters. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 and following, it's a beautiful picture, one of my favorite passages in the Word of God. And it so gives us a picture of what what it is that was on the apostle's mind. What is this gospel of grace that he was called to proclaim, that he had given his life to? In Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 and following, he says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. I, I would just note a couple things in here. I was made a minister. He received it from the Lord. He didn't wake up one day and say, Oh, Lord, I got a great idea for you today. Man, I've been a Pharisee, but man, I've seen the light. And now I want to take the gospel all through the world. And I want to be beaten five times and shipwrecked and all the different things. It's all good. No, no, no. He's he's making clear whose plan was this. It was the Lord's plan. He submitted to it. He yielded to this. I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God. The idea of stewardship here is a household manager, one who's in charge of the affairs of the house. God is absolutely in charge of the affairs of mankind. He knows the right seasons, the right times. He knows what he wants to accomplish. He's totally in charge of it. And he says this, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Now what is the preaching of the word of God? He gives a couple comments about what, the, what that looks like. The preaching of the word of God is a mystery. It's been hidden from past ages and generations. And understand that when it's something that has been hidden and it's a mystery that God has, nobody can figure it out until God decides to reveal it. And he has. He says, now it's been manifested to his saints, to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And to those saints, God has willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And now he gets to what is the preaching of the word of God. What is it that Paul's been called to? He says this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, what a statement. Uh, Their focus was absolutely on Christ. And it was on Christ in you. The hope for Christians, hope is not just a wish. It's a certain future fact. We know what God has said. We know what he's promised. And as a result, we can walk in it. We can trust him in it. We know where we're headed. Because we know that the Lord has promised that. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Notice he says Christ. He doesn't say Jesus. Now, Jesus is the Christ. Christ is Jesus, correct? Don't leave here getting confused about that. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about Christ Jesus. But he says Christ. Why? Because he's talking about the resurrected Jesus. He's talking about the Lamb of God. He's talking about the one who shed his blood so that we might have forgiveness of sin. And when we believe in him, Christ, the resurrected Jesus, comes to live within us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. In verse 28, he says, we proclaim him. We announce him. We're letting everybody know about him. We're admonishing every man. We're correcting their thinking concerning who God really is. And we're teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ, meaning mature in Christ. And then in verse 29, he gives us again a glimpse of his life work that he's been called to. He says, for this purpose, for the preaching of the word of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, for this purpose also I labor. That word labor means agonize. All of my life is wrapped up into this, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. I love that part. Paul said it over and over and over again. You look at all the epistles, you look at all the things that he wrote, and he never gave himself any credit at all whatsoever. He always said, not I, but the grace of Christ in me. Because it was Christ in him who was forming him, Christ in him who was transforming him, Christ in him who was empowering him, Christ in him who was speaking through him. And as Paul the apostle, the man, began to yield his life more and more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ, it was Christ who was being seen through him. And so all of Paul's life was a striving according to his power. And the power of Christ was mightily working within Paul. Acts 1.8, such a beautiful picture. He says, you will receive power. And the Lord's talking to the disciples, the apostles. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the indicator here, folks, and, the, and I think this is so important to understand. What, what the Lord's about to tell them that if they didn't receive power, if they didn't receive the Holy Spirit, that what he's about to tell them is going to happen in and through them would never have happened. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you, you're not going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem into the uttermost parts of the earth. But the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and he will empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. What a beautiful picture. 
Folks, we are utterly relying upon Christ himself in us to do a transformative work so that through us, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, will be revealed. That Christ will be exhibited into the world so that people who have no hope, that aren't for sure, they're not certain about what their lives after this one passes away is going to be, that they too can recognize the hope that we have. In Christ Jesus. I thought this was an interesting comment by a guy named Les Robinson, Dr. Les Robinson Jr. And since he's a doctor, it's got to be true. <laughs> Dr. Les, sorry for all of you doctors out there. My dad's a doctor, so I can make fun of that, right? Dr. Les Robinson Jr. He says this it's also important to note that most church growth happens. Relationally. Relationally. We are created as relational beings. People are more likely to stay connected to the faith community if they have developed meaningful friendships and relationships with others in the fellowship. This often means that the people must commit to breaking clicks and finding a connection to new people. This includes finding ways to once again interact with the surrounding neighborhood and culture. Ah. Oh. I, I think we see that in the book of Acts, right? We see a people that their lives were changed. They recognized who Christ is. They, they began to walk with the Lord in such a way that through them, the love that they had for one another, the love, obviously, that they had for the Lord and then one another. And then as they began to walk, the clarity of their message of Christ in you, our hope, the gospel message, the good news from God about salvation was proclaimed. But what you see is relationships. What you see is a people that loved one another in a profound way. And it got the attention of the world. Are we growing in faith? Are we walking by faith? Trusting in the Lord? to lead us, to empower us. This is all about the Lord. This is about what he's able to do. It's not about what we can do for him. It's about what he's able to do in and through us. It's by his grace. And are we willing to be used of the Lord to declare the gospel with boldness? Say, yes, Lord. Oh, it's a little uncomfortable. You know, I've got my group of friends that I really enjoy being around, but you know what, Lord? Would you put a... Love for people who don't know you on my heart. Would you help me to follow you? Just a few thoughts as we close. We must through his grace and in his power. And notice I say it that way. Because folks, if you leave here today thinking, oh, I've been terrible, I'm horrible, I haven't measured up, welcome to the normal Christian life. Seriously. You know, if you're going to create a checklist of things for yourselves to do in order to show God how much better you can be, I think you missed the entire point of God's grace. These things ought to take place through us. These things should take place through us. How does that happen? By saying yes to the Lord. Because if we're abiding in the vine correctly, if we're confessing sin, if we're growing in Christ, if we're in his word, if we're listening carefully and attentively, if we're growing and being transformed and our minds are being renewed by the word of God, then guess what's going to happen? Christ through us will produce 
is fruit. If the fruit's not there, we don't just make a better checklist. We got to go back and say, Lord, are we abiding? Are we fellowshipping with you? Is there sin in our lives that we need to confess and repent of? Is there something in my attitude? Is there something in my activity? Is there something in me that's causing your life to be blocked from being revealed through me? So we must, through his grace and in his power, grow in our relationship with the Lord through his word. That's a must. That's not optional. It takes Christ in us to accomplish that. But we need to avail ourselves to the Lord so that we can experience him and grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How? Through his word. Secondly, we need to walk with the Lord by faith. We need to learn to trust him in everything. Faith is the persuasion. Are we persuaded that God is really able? Or have we closed that door? Have we put God in our box? And somehow our God isn't quite as big as what we thought. And so uh, we're fearful to trust him that he's able to do far and exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we could ever ask or think. We need to grow in our walk with the Lord, which is to be by faith. Romans says that very clearly. The righteous shall live by what? Faith. I'm willing to be persuaded, Lord. I'm willing to be persuaded. You're able, no matter what. Thirdly, to encourage one another and love one another in Christ's love. Oh, we can't put a a value to that one. We, we, We love the Lord. We want to walk with the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. Folks, it starts right here. I love that. I will always encourage you in that. God always encourages me in that. Because how we treat one another and our love for one another reveals what's going on in our hearts and in our relationship with Christ himself. And it also becomes God's way of revealing himself to the world. And the testimony that we have when we go and greet somebody in the love of Christ and say, I want, I want to tell you about my Lord Jesus and what he's done for me. They're looking past us to that fellowship of believers that we're a part of. And that fellowship of believers, when it is a fellowship of people that love the Lord and love one another, becomes a strength to our testimony. Lastly, to passionately and prayerfully ask the Lord to give us hearts for the lost and be willing to proclaim his gospel of grace. See, I, I think we see that all through the book of Acts. I think this is just a summary of it all, but I think that's, those are main points that you see all through the book. The early church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, as they began this journey, of knowing Christ, learning to follow him, walking with him by faith, how God began to produce through them his love as they began to testify, to announce, to proclaim, to preach, to teach the world about the Lord Jesus Christ. They had a heart for the lost. They had a heart for the people around them that they knew were dying and going to hell because they did not have hope. They did not have Jesus. They did not have forgiveness of sins. And friends, we need to pray specifically, Lord, give us a heart 
for the lost. Give us a heart for those people that are broken and hurting around us that need you. Because the Lord has a heart for them. And the question is, are we willing to say, Lord, here's our lives. Use us in whatever way that you choose to proclaim, to announce, to preach, to teach, to testify about the good news of God's grace. Folks, are we willing to do that? We've taken two years to walk through the book of Acts. I'm just giving you a synopsis. I'm giving you a snapshot of this. Are we willing to say, Lord, get us out of our comfort zones. Get us out of our comfort zones. Lord, we want to see your glory. We want to see you at work. We want to learn to walk with you even more deeply. We want to recognize when it's you. We want to understand when it's not. We want to follow you in all things. Friends, we're in a day and time. (laughs) We need the Lord desperately. What's God doing in our lives to draw us to himself so that whatever that moment comes when you have an opportunity to share him, somebody comes to you and says, "What, what is this hope that you've got? You're immediately ready to give an account of what Christ has done for you. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.